Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, where we interview the world's leading CEOs, business executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and authors. Our mission is to learn the strategies and tactics that have helped our guests succeed in business and life and share those lessons with you so that you can become the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. My name is Chia Dogu and I'm the co-founder and COO of Odogu Media Group. Odogu Media Group is a podcast marketing and new media agency that helps corporations create and amplify their story via high-quality branded audio content that builds a community of highly engaged fans who are their ideal clients for their premium products and services. And now, without further ado, on with the show. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Sales Mastery Summit. If you want to learn how to grow your sales using Gorilla B2B sales strategies, then you will definitely want to check out this summit. 10 world-class entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and sales and marketing professionals are going to share their best-kept secrets on how to grow your sales in the B2B space. You'll learn things like how to leverage your skills, how to apply LinkedIn to get non-stop leads, how to prospect and win, how to be a go-giver so that you can get more clients by actually serving them first, and of course, the art of closing the deal with your prospects and clients so that they'll feel like they're doing business with their long-lost friend. I have speakers coming from the likes of Dan Locke, Bob Berg, Paul Brody, Kimanzi Constable, Josh Elledge, Dr. Cindy McGovern, Tyle Roxon, Monique Russell, and Karen Yankovic. They'll be sharing their best-kept secrets on how you can succeed and win in your B2B sales goals in 2020. The summit starts November the 18th and 19th and will feature 30-minute actionable keynote addresses to equip you with all the tools and strategies you need to succeed. If you want to sign up, go to www.b2bsamas.com or www.b2bsalesmasterysummit.com to sign up for the B2B Sales Mastery Summit. I can't wait to see you there. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Dave Ramos. Dave is an author, speaker, and the CEO of Shift Points, Inc., Prior to starting Shift Points, Dave applied his passion for alignment in a broad range of settings, including large global corporations, venture-backed startups, and innovative nonprofits. He served at the highest levels of executive management in global companies like Norton Networks and IBM. One of his consulting clients, McLean Bible Church, a large 15,000-person megachurch asked him to join the staff full-time after consulting with them on a few projects. He surprised everyone and joined the church and worked there for three years as the director of adult ministries before leaving to go establish shift points. Dave is a highly sought-after speaker and engages audiences all over the world with his humorous but challenging style of communication. He's spoken at organizations like the Harvard Business School, Vistage, Convene Now, the CXO Forum, AOL, and many churches and ministries around the world. I'm pleased to have him on the show today to discuss his business, his life story, and of course, his new book, Drive One Direction. So with that said, Dave, welcome to the show. Chi, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, Dave. So now I talked about your background a little bit, but could you tell us in your own words, you know, how you got to where you are today? What's your career arc or your trajectory arc? for becoming an internationally renowned consultant and speaker? Well, gee, I, I had five back-to-back career experiences where misalignment mm. was the root cause of the organizational 
problem. Um, it started when Nortel um, bought Bay Networks. I moved to Silicon Valley to be part of the integration team. That was a $7.9 billion merger mm. that failed. We had, we had two CEOs and two product lines and two visions and two sales forces. We had two of everything, mm -hmm. and we were never able to get them aligned. And then, as you mentioned, I joined a startup. We were misaligned at the top about what business we were in, how to succeed, how to build the product, which market to target. Then I did a project at the Pentagon. I did a project for another small company. And then, as you mentioned, I even did a project for a church. So all five of these, the root cause of the organizational problem was misalignment. So I just started, started a company called Shift Points to try to help companies fix it. Hmm. Now, Dave, you mentioned misalignment was the cause of failure for all these entities that you work for. But tell us a little bit more about what misalignment means, because somebody hearing this will say, OK, um, yes, in a merger, you have different companies, different cultures coming together and they're supposed to consolidate everything and make it work. But from your definition, what does misalignment boil down to? Well, ultimately, I think it's um, we're not going in the same direction. Mm. That's why I called the book Drive One Direction. Imagine if every employee had like a nav system in their car or on their phone, and we looked at the destination address mm -hmm. of where everybody's going. And what, what I learned is in, in the root cause of the misalignment is everybody's going in a different direction. Mm. There's not a sense of... This is exactly where we're going. This is exactly how we're going to get there. So if you think about your nav system on your phone, you type in a destination address, mm -hmm. and we know exactly where you're going. We know exactly how to get there, and we can dynamically reroute people mm. if there's a, an accident or a road closing or anything like that. So the, it's, it's this sense that we're not going in the same direction. Mm. Now, one of the key case studies you talked about was um, Ford, which uh, popularized the one Ford philosophy, correct? Correct. So, so tell us a little bit more about that, because I saw you interviewed the CEO in, in the early stages of the book, and that was kind of like one of the biggest drivers that caused you to bring out this philosophy and this shift in thinking in management styles. So tell us a little bit more about what Ford did so well that enabled them to grow and turn things around for their business. Yes, well, this was uh, in the height of the um, aftermath of the 2008 crash. Mm. Uh, Alan Mulally was brought into Ford from Boeing, and he inherited a Ford that was massively fragmented. Every Ford uh, division uh, and every location operated very independently, almost like a separate company. Mm -hmm. And he determined that the, that the only way that Ford was going to be successful was to bring everybody together as mm -hmm. one Ford. Mm -hmm. And obviously, uh, Ford's a very complicated global business. Uh, you have uh, dealers that obviously are not Ford employees that have to be brought into alignment. You have the management and union issues at play. And so he created a, a very powerful but very simple plan called One Ford. And then for the next eight years, he executed against that plan to bring everybody together and really saved the company and turned it around. And uh, that was, became really a, an exemplar case study that inspired me 
to look for other case studies mm. of companies that have done similar things. And uh, I'm very grateful to Alan Mulally for uh, endorsing the book and uh, being one of the CEOs. And he actually wrote the foreword as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. He, he was great mm. and really an inspiration to me. Great. Now, leaning on that for a little bit, somebody listening to this podcast is probably a small business owner or an entrepreneur that is just starting out growing their startup and whatnot. And, you know, we have a few big company examples in your book, but we also have a few small companies in the book. Now, why does a small company have to start thinking about alignment very early on in their business? Well, it's important because that small company probably wants to become a big company someday. Mm, mm. They want to grow. They want to expand into new markets. They want to open second locations. They want to have second or third or fourth product lines. And as soon as you start doing that, the company can very easily get fragmented. And when the company gets fragmented, growth grinds to a halt because Mm. the internal systems, the internal handoffs, the internal um, uh, organizational culture can create infighting and uh, missed handoffs, missed opportunities where we're not collaborating well. Uh, and, and so therefore, it's really, really important for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs to build their company on a foundation of alignment and really build alignment into the culture from day one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So now... Um, in the course of the book, you mentioned, you know, there are 12 accelerating points that will help any company build um, alignment. And also companies that are well aligned have, I think there were three major things that you talked about. They have high revenue growth, they have customer engagement, and they have employee engagement. So um, let, let's, let's you know, maybe I won't even lead you on that, but let's talk about some of the key areas of the accelerators and then let's unpack them gradually. So maybe you can start with one, let's say the one vision or the one one team, for example. Well, yes, uh, this is where the, the research for the book became very interesting because mm. we had to say, how do these companies create alignment? And so I studied over three... 300 companies and I interviewed 100 CEOs and ultimately I had to take all of the lessons that they shared and package them into a a coherent system, Mm -hmm. which is how we came up with the 12 accelerators. Mm. And what I learned is that uh, each of these plays an important role. Like, for example, one of the chapters is called One Way. Mm. This is about creating alignment on your mission critical processes. And you have to decide There are some processes in the business that everybody has to do exactly the same way. That might be, for example, at Starbucks. Mm -hmm. There's only one way to make a double tall skim latte, Mm -hmm. and that's a standardized business process. Mm -hmm. So one way, that's one of the accelerators. Uh, One of them is called One Portfolio, which looks at how do you create alignment between your product portfolio? Because as companies grow... They create multiple products, mm-hmm. but customers expect those products to work together. They expect to be able to buy them on a single contract. Mm-hmm. They expect a, uh, one salesperson to be able to sell the whole product line. They expect uh, one number to call. If I have a problem, they don't want to know, well, I called this number for this, this product and a different number for a different product. That creates confusion. Mm-hmm. So that's another example of one of the accelerators we look at creating alignment in the portfolio. And so, as, I, as you mentioned, there's 12 of these, and it's designed to, to help 
entrepreneurs and business executives think about the business and think about the challenge of alignment in a systematic, structured, orderly way. Mm. So when you start to think about it in a systematic and orderly way, what is the first step to start executing change to start creating alignment? Because from reading the book and reading all the accelerators you talk about, it seems like this is not going to be a process where a consultant can just come and we talk about this in a workshop one day or two days, and then you can start seeing change right away. This seems like it's going to take a little bit of work and a little bit of time to actually start getting things together. So let's talk a little bit more about the execution and the implementation of some of the changes needed to happen to create alignment, because whenever change comes, people are going to be resistant. It's going to be an uphill battle, and it might not even work out the way you planned. Well, that's right. Um, And depending on how fragmented your company is, that'll determine how long it's going to take to fix Mm -hmm. it. Okay, Mm -hmm. Some companies just need a little tune-up, and they can come in and make some changes and go out and uh, out of the workshop, and they're on their way. Other companies, you know, they've been fragmented for a decade, so we're not going to fix that in a month, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But here's where we start. Uh, The first accelerator is called One Team. Mm. And it looks at the executive team. Here's why. And a fragmented executive team will never create an aligned company. Okay. So the executive team really has to come together and say, we're going to work as one team. We're not going to let our internal disagreements about things become dysfunctions that then uh, uh, impact the culture of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going we're gonna, to um, resolve conflict um, productively so that it doesn't then uh, cascade out and, and create division in, in the organization. Um, we're going to look at how executive compensation is done, for example. And my recommendation is that a significant portion of the senior executive, the CXO suite compensation mm-hmm should be tied to corporate performance, not individual performance, because mm-hmm. we want them to work as one team. So that's actually where we start with the executive team. Mm. Now, how does, now if you say, okay, compensation goes not from individual performance, but to corporate performance. Now, how does the executive level take that? Because that's going to also be a very difficult conversation to have when you have, take for example, high stakes and million dollar, multi-million dollar bonuses come into play. That conversation obviously seems like it's going to be an extremely difficult conversation to have, right? Sure. Sure. And Alan Mulally told the story about changing the compensation system at Ford. And at the end of the day, um, we our conclusion, our bottom line, is that alignment is the ultimate competitive advantage. Mm. So if you believe that's true, then the compensation plan is a small price to pay in order to unleash the accelerating power of alignment in your business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want people in the executive suite to be team players. Mm -hmm. Yes, we want them focused on their own business or their own division or their own function or whatever. And I'm not saying that 100% of their compensation needs to be tied to corporate, Mm -hmm. but maybe 70, 50, not zero. Mm. That's for sure. Mm. Because we want them to be incentivized to work together to optimize the good of the whole. Because after all, at the end of the day, there's one, there's one share, there, there's one share, mm. right? And so the, we're gonna optimize shareholder value 
at the corporate level, right? We, just because your division wins and the other division loses, mm-hmm. that doesn't do anything. They, mm-hmm. they counterbalance themselves. So we want everybody to create uh, that kind of teamwork, cross-functional collaboration, operate as one company. Because again, if you believe that alignment is the ultimate competitive advantage, then changing the comp plan is a small place price to pay to unleash that. Mm. Now, you also mentioned something about creating culture, and this got me to thinking about one of my favorite case studies in the book, which is uh, where you talked about how the Carlisle group started with the one-team philosophy from day one. Now, in an industry like private equity, for example, there's big money involved, big egos, um, basically everything going on is big in, in the company. So you have people fundraising and you have people executing, doing due diligence and investing. Now, how did that particular company uh, get the alignment right from day one? Because it seems like if a company like that that has high stakes in terms of financials, in terms of investments, can get it going, then that means it is possible for a small company that is just trying to dominate maybe their local market or their regional market. They can also easily get it right and also dominate and use that competitive advantage to succeed in their marketplace. That's right, Chi. Um, Private equity can be a cutthroat, Um, industry, no doubt. And so I think the founders of the Carlyle Group had experienced that in the companies they worked at before starting the Carlyle Group. So they knew they were going to create a company that was different than that, that that didn't allow uh, those internal competitive um, uh, spirits to become divisive Mm. and and really drag the company down. Mm. So they knew they had to be one Carlisle from the beginning. And if you, if you look at um, the, the company, that's been a key component of their success uh, from the beginning. Uh, they work together globally and across divisions to optimize the value that they create for their investors, as opposed to being so stovepiped and siloed where the teams don't work together. And so they put the good of the investor ahead of their own internal organizational structure or an internal um, uh, responsibilities to optimize the good for the whole mm. as opposed to the, just my little piece of the pie. Mm, okay. Now I want to shift gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about, you know, the for-profit space. We've talked about businesses, large and small. Let's talk about um, the nonprofit side and your experience working in a mega church would also be helpful as a case study because there was a line you mentioned in the book where it talked about, you know, some churches act like corporations while some corporations act like uh, denominations. So let's talk a little bit more about what was your experience in the nonprofit space, especially working with several churches, and then how are those organizations misaligned and how do they get realigned given the fact that they have one religious philosophy that they preach the gospel and they share and they win people to Christ, but at the same time, internally, Culture issues come into play. Uh, regional fiefdoms or organizational yeah. fiefdoms come into play there. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, and uh, there's a number of case studies about nonprofits in the book: mm. uh, Habitat for, for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, mm-hmm. and the nonprofits. In my ex- uh, experience, um, have it much harder than the for-profit companies. There's a number of things that drive that. First of all, in the nonprofit world, it's very difficult to say no to a new idea. 
Mm. For example, uh, someone, when you're in the church, someone comes to you and says, we should start uh, a ministry for unwed mothers. Of course, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. And the next person comes in and says, we should start something for the homeless. Of course, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. We should do something for the earthquake victims in Haiti. That's a great idea. But if you say yes to everything, you dilute your resources and you dilute your focus and you become highly fragmented. Mm. And so, but it's hard. It's hard to say no. no. It's also very difficult to evaluate the performance of various ministries or nonprofit initiatives. Mm-hmm. In the business, we could look at a company that might have um, hundreds of stores, for example, mm-hmm. and we could run the numbers to rank the stores from the best performing store to the worst performing store. Mm-hmm. But in a nonprofit or a church, like how do we rank? What's the most effective ministry or what's the most effective nonprofit service Mm -hmm. we deliver? Mm -hmm. And what's the least effective with the idea that we're going to prune the least effective uh, ones so Mm -hmm. we can reinvest in the good ones and the best ones? That's extremely difficult because the metrics don't exist and everybody has a deep emotional connection to Mm -hmm. their, their ministry or their service in the nonprofit world or whatever it is they're doing. So uh, the nonprofits, it's probably 10 times harder mm. than, the cor- than the corporate world to, to go through this non this uh, process of creating uh, one team with one vision and one strategy and one way of doing things. Uh, but the nonprofits that do, like Habitat for Humanity, is intensely focused. Mm. They only work on housing. Mm. They don't work on food. They don't work on education. They don't work on poverty. They don't work on all kinds of other things that they could do that are mm-hmm. good ideas. Mm-hmm. They, they build houses. That's it. Mm. And, and they're world-class great at it. And that's, to me, why they've been so successful. Mm. They've had the discipline of saying no to hundreds or thousands of good ideas mm. so they can stay focused on the thing that really, really they're called and equipped to do. Oh, okay. So now that's for Habitat for Humanity. So for a church, for example, you know, what has been your experience in getting them to narrow down the focus? Because I know that's still a highly difficult conversation to have with a pastor who wants to do good and loves all the great ideas. Yes, it's a hard conversation to have, but um, it's one you have to have. Mm. Um, and, and uh, you know, often there has to be a catalyst to get them to confront the, the need to change. Like, like, like anything, you don't change until something really bad happens. Uh, you know, you don't give up smoking until the doctor tells you you have cancer. Yeah. So for churches, it's easy for them mm. to uh, allow these things to continue because dealing with them is going to be difficult. Mm. We're going to have to shut down ministries and tell people that we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry, but we're going to stay focused. So sometimes it's a new pastor that comes in, which has a new vision. Sometimes it's a financial crisis that forces them to reevaluate where their ministries are and their financial uh, capabilities and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, there has to be something that, that uh, forces them to deal with the issue. Otherwise, it'll, it'll just linger and they just keep kicking the can down the road. And we'll deal with it next year. Okay. Okay. So as we start to wind down the interview, Dave, I have a couple questions for you. And my first question is, in your experience as a consultant, helping companies get their alignment right so that they can grow and be efficient and succeed in the business or in the nonprofit space, what has been 
the most challenging project you've ever worked on? If you can omit the names, but just give like an overview and say, okay, what were the key challenges you had to face? How did you solve the problem? And what was kind of like the end result? Wow, that's a that's a great because there's so many. Each client and everybody, the situation is different. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, thinking about uh, uh, tying this back to the entrepreneurs. One of the most interesting uh, companies that we worked with is profiled in the book. Uh, it's called BTI 360. Mm-hmm. They're here in the Washington D.C. area. They're a government contractor, and one of the one of the difficulties is there were 300 companies. Mm. on the same subcontract wow. and each of these sub, each of these companies they looked alike they sound alike they all say the same things they all have the same pictures of planes and tanks and soldiers in the pentagon on their website and so it was very very difficult for them to create differentiation mm. so one of the chapters in the book is about uh, finding your one thing matter of fact mm. that's the name of my my last book called Decide One Thing. Mm -hmm. And so BTI went through the process of saying, what is the one thing that we could do better than anybody else? And how could we then use that one thing um, as the key idea that we align everything and everyone around? Mm. And so after multiple iterations of trying to find this, which is difficult because obviously if you pick one thing, you didn't pick the 27 other things that you could have picked. Mm-hmm. They chose uh, uh, the line that they use is called developing ultimate teammates. So they decided that they could be the best of all those companies at developing people, mm. at developing people. Um, uh, they have a, a few lines like software development is a team sport. And so they do all kinds of training mm. to train their engineers, not just on the, the uh, uh, technical aspects of software development, but on, if you will, the, the soft skills, the people skills, the team dynamics, so that their people are perceived by the client to be the ones that really don't just write great software. They make the team better. Mm-hmm. And so if you talk to MJ Weibel, the CEO, he said, once we decided that developing ultimate teammates was our one thing, it was like hitting the easy button Mm. because then every decision that we made could be evaluated in light of that. And for example, would investing in this particular initiative help us to become the best in the world at developing ultimate teammates? Mm. If the answer is yes, well, then we're going to do it. If not, we might not do it. And so they then became laser beam focused on building a culture around developing people, investing in training, investing in uh, coaching, investing in all of the things that, that, um, that, that allowed them to become world class. And then that become their value proposition and their brand promise to the customer. And they aligned everything around that. And since they have went, did that with us, since they made that decision, They've won seven best place to work awards Mm. and the company's probably quintupled in size. Mm. Whereas previously they had been plateaued. They were kind of stuck. They Mm. were one of those 300 companies that was all the same. And then all of a sudden they found that, that, that idea, the big idea, the big differentiator, they found their one thing Mm -hmm. and that unleashed the accelerating power of alignment. And it's been transformative for their firm. 
Mm. You know, it's a it's a great success study of how a small company with it they had uh, twelve employees when they started this process. Wow. A small company could then take the ideas in the book and apply them and use them to really transform the whole business. Mm. So it's so it is something that anyone any company can apply just as long as you're thinking about it critically, logically, and making sure that you're implementing across the board, across all your divisions and your operations in your business. Yeah, even solopreneurs need alignment, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember you mentioned that too, that even solopreneurs, one-person business yeah. has misalignment problems. Yeah, because, you know, you, you keep changing your mind about what you're doing and who you are and what your business mm. is, and you know, and you can get yourself all wrapped around the axle, just you yourself. Mm. You know, so uh, even we joke, even solopreneurs, but, uh, you know, uh, practically speaking, um, as the company grows, uh, the alignment becomes more difficult. And one Mm -hmm. of the big one of the big break points is when they create divisions, Mm. but divisions by definition divide. Yeah. But for the solopreneur listening to this. How does that person solve that problem in their case? So take, for example, um, this is a perfect case. Um, you're a digital marketing consultant, you know, yes. you're a freelancer, you consult, but you also have a passion for writing leadership articles or personal development articles and all that stuff. How does that person align themselves to say, hey, this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is how I want to speak to the world? Yes, well, um, sometimes... Uh, there's one thing that's the dominant thing mm. that has to come first. Okay. Okay. And, and in some cases, for some entrepreneurs, that's it. We choose one. Mm. Sometimes it's a blend of those two. So if you imagine those two ideas, digital marketing and leadership development, the two you mm. mentioned, mm-hmm. if you imagine them as uh, like circles, like a Venn diagram, mm. if, I, if I looked at the overlap of those two circles, digital marketing and leadership development. What's in there? What's in there? Maybe that's where the source of the ultimate um, focus for your business is going to be, is not doing one or the other. Mm -hmm. It's finding a way to create a unique one-of-a-kind blend Mm. of of those two that takes your two passions and and makes one thing out of them. Uh, you know, you put, it's like bulletproof coffee. You know, you put your coffee and your butter and your MCT oil in the blender and then pretty soon, it's not the three things that it was before. It's a new thing that's mm-hmm. all blended together. Mm-hmm. And it's the blend that creates the magic. Mm. And, and it may be that's the case for the solopreneur. Because, um, uh, you know, sometimes people have, have a singular focus, mm-hmm. like Tiger Woods. Yeah. Pretty much all he does is play golf. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't really do much of anything else like, uh, at all. Mm-hmm. But some people are really like triathletes. Mm. You know, they run, bike, and swim. And so they have to figure out a way to blend the three skills or blend the three ideas into one thing, mm. like a triathlon. Cool. Very cool. Wow, Dave, I've had such a pleasure talking to you on this particular topic. I think it's very interesting and helpful. Thank you for uh, allowing me to be part of your amazing podcast. And it was great to chat with you. You asked great questions. And uh, thanks again for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So, but before I let you go, though, tell us where people can connect with you if they want to reach out to you and learn more about Shift Points or even get a copy of the book, learn about your philosophy, and then possibly reach out and chat with you further on social media. Well, the, the, thank you. The company's called Shift Points, shiftpoints.com. And uh, you can find us on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm pretty prominent on LinkedIn. We do a lot of uh, uh, posting there, and you can find mm-hmm. me there. And the book called Drive One Direction is available on Amazon. 
as an ebook, as a paperback, or as a hardback. And um, I appreciate uh, any feedback people have about the book. And let us know if we can help you uh, unleash the accelerating power of alignment in your business. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link to all that in the notes once this episode is published and ready to go live. So thanks a lot for coming to share your story, Dave. I truly appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Chief. It was a lot of fun. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com.